let our upper students be dismissed for Children's Church at this time. And uh, it is exciting. Got a, got a big crew now with moving up, a lot of kids. And on Wednesday nights, got a big crew now, kids that have moved up. So thank you, parents, for uh, bringing them. And we kind of overnight this year on Wednesday nights with our upper kids division, upper primary. We went from one or two kids overnight to eight eight kids. So we praise the Lord for that with those that have moved up and babies that have been born now that are getting older. And uh, Sister Lauren learned about that last week, about trying to deal with eight. Going to have to have two teachers on Wednesday nights instead of just one. And uh, I loved it, though. Uh, the kids were being kids, you know, and being rowdy and stuff. And she said it was really funny. She, she tried her best, right? Said she made an airplane. And told the kids, uh, you're not to speak unless you have the airplane. You have to have the airplane in your hand unless you, you know, if you want to talk. And lo and behold, Lauren was telling me, said that, you know, a few minutes went by and uh, nobody was, you know, they were just talking and talking loud and running around and, and nobody had the airplane and everybody was trying to talk. And she said, uh, or I guess Mark told me this, that Lauren said that Owen just kind of threw his hands up and went, you're not supposed to be talking, you don't have the airplane. Well, you don't need an airplane to praise Jesus today, do you? You don't have to wait for permission. You need to in class to do that, but just want you to feel free to worship the Lord today. Boy, wasn't that good music this morning? Uh, that, was, that was great. And to sing about the amazing grace of the Lord. If I was to ask you, what is your favorite type of music? If I was just to ask you that, what's your favorite type of music, uh, what would you say? And uh, I mean that outside of just specifically Christian hymns and choruses. Outside of Christian hymns and choruses, what is your favorite type of music? I think my favorite, and I like all kinds, I like all kinds of music, but my favorite type of music outside of Christian hymns and choruses is folk music. That's probably top of my list, just Americana, uh, folk type music, roots music would be my favorite type of music. And there was a guy in the last century, uh, in the, this really uh, started with his father, but in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, on into the 60s, there's a guy named Alan Lomax that the Library of Congress paid him to go out into America, uh, into the uh, farm, farm workers and out west to the cowboys, those of them that were kind of still left, whose fathers had been cowboys, and into the African-American communities where there were those who were the, uh, some of them sons and daughters still of slaves and grandchildren of slaves. And they sent Al Lomax out to collect music. And he would record music and collect it. And from that, uh, Alan Lomax, a lot of people say, uh, is the single most influential person on the folk music revival of the 40s, 50s, and 60s in both America and England. He was also sent to England record a lot of the traditional music there. And uh, you may know some of the people that he made famous, people that were musicians that he went out and recorded that became famous. Among them were the blues guitarist Robert Johnson, uh, the folk and protest singer Woody Guthrie. Uh, I think Woody Guthrie wrote that song, uh, This Land is My Land. Maybe you learned that song as a child. Uh, the folk artist Pete Seeger, country musician, Burl Ives and the country blues singer Leadbelly. All of them, Alan Lomax, this one guy who cared about traditional American music. Uh, all of them were made famous because of the recordings that Alan Lomax 
went out and did. Now, I love folk music, but it's not folk music that has me excited today. It's not folk music that got me up this morning and, and, and ready to go. No, today, as followers of Jesus, our calling is not to go out and record music like that, as good as that is. That's not our primary calling in life. But Jesus does have a calling for you. And he does have a purpose for you. Just as Alan Lomax, he knew what his purpose was and he achieved great things. Alan Lomax achieved great things because he knew what his purpose was and he stuck to it. A lot of times we wonder, what is God's will for my life? What is God's purpose for my life? What is it that God wants for me? What is it that I should be doing with the time God has given me? This morning, I want you to know that Jesus has called you. Jesus has called you and saved you so that you may help introduce others to the sovereign, holy, triune God. Jesus has saved you so that you may go out and help others worship the Creator God, God the Father. Now, now that's Jesus' purpose for you, is that you will go and give glory to God the Father and help others do that. That's what Jesus wants. The Father God has a purpose for you as well, and that is that you would honor the Son, Jesus. And it is the Holy Spirit that helps us do both of these things, both the will of the Father, which is to lift up the name of Jesus and honor Him and worship Him, and we do that first and foremost by confessing our sin and, and, and serving Him. So the Holy Spirit helps us to know and convicts us that, hey, we shouldn't be chasing all these other things. We should be lifting up the name of Jesus. But then Jesus, if, if the Father's will is that you would lift up Jesus, the will of Jesus is that you would lift up the name of the Father and that you would glorify Him and that you would help others to do this. You say, what's God's will for my life? In a nutshell, that's God's will. It is God's will that you magnify the Son, and that you also glorify the Father who sent Him to save you from sin. And so how do I do that, Pastor? We've sung about the amazing grace of God. We've sung about the amazing grace of Jesus and what He's done for us. So how is it that I do these two things, that I, that I give glory to Jesus, uh, or magnify Jesus and give glory to God the Father? How do I do that? And one of the best places to learn how to do that and how to help others do that, which is God's calling on your life, not that you come and sit on a church pew. Yes, He wants you to come and worship. Yes, He wants you to come and hear His Word. Yes, He wants you to come and be an encouragement to other people. And all that's already happened. Within just one hour here on this Sunday, all of those things have already occurred. But God's purpose is not just that you gather here, but that you leave here and you help others begin to worship and glorify and know the sovereign, holy loving triune God. So how do we do that? We learn, one of the best places to learn how to do this, to see how to do this, to experience how to do this, is in Acts 17. So go to Acts 17 and go to verse 15 and let's look this morning at this engagement that the Apostle Paul has with these Greek philosophers, these Greek thinkers at a place called Mars Hill. All right, so Acts 17, starting in verse 15. Now remember, Paul has been on the run. Paul is preaching the gospel to the Jew first and then the Gentile. He's going to synagogues and proclaiming the word of God. And if there's not a synagogue, it, it seems like he finds out where the God-fears are in that community, and he'll go to where they are, frequently in the marketplace or down by the riverside where people will be washing and doing laundry and things. He goes to where people are. 
First to the synagogue. If there's no synagogue, it seems he seeks out a place where there might be some Jews and there might be some God-fears. He preaches to them first and then to the Gentiles. But boy, this is, up, this is upsetting everything. Because people's allegiances are changing to Jesus. And as people's allegiances change, it's made folks mad. And so he, he's, he's, he's being forced. He's being forced to become a missionary. I mean, Paul, it, it, we kind of wonder, like earlier in Acts, it kind of seems, you know, he and Barnabas, they, they went to some places, they established some churches, then they just thought, well, we'll go back and check on them. But God had a different plan. He, he, through this persecution, God has forced Paul. He has led Paul. And Paul has a willing heart to do it, by the way. But God is directing him to go out and to be a missionary all over the world. So now he gets to the, the place, the height of Greco-Roman culture. All right, so uh, right in the belly of the beast. Next to Rome, this place, Athens, is probably uh, one of the, the epicenters of ungodliness in all of the Roman Empire. Acts seventeen fifteen. They conducted Paul and brought him to Athens. They'd received a commandment unto Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed. So what do they do? They depart to go to Athens as well. Verse 16, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him. Have you ever looked at wickedness? Have you ever looked at the decay within our own world and looked at the sin that is around us? And has it ever stirred you and moved you to think this world and the sin that it's living in and what it's doing? It says Paul waited for them at Athens and his spirit was stirred when he saw the city holy given to idolatry. He saw that it was a place full of idols where everybody was chasing after the desires of their own flesh and worshiping gods that just reflected their own sinful hearts. And he saw this and it stirred him. It moved him. Therefore, verse 17, he disputed. He engaged. He argued in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans. Now the Epicureans, they say, uh, you, need to, you need to just live life. And you need to live life in a way that, that whatever's going to bring you uh, pleasure, you need to do that. And there are a couple of different streams of Epicureans. Some of them, the idea of pleasure. Uh, if, you, if you know the Dave Matthews band, that was a band real popular when I was in high school. And Dave Matthews basically lives by the Epicurean philosophy. In fact, he, he has a song where he expresses it very clearly. And if you ever read his articles, he makes this clear that this is what he believes. Eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Sleep with who you're going to sleep with. Eat what you want to eat. Get as drunk as you want to get. Because tomorrow we die. And so some Epicureans, they said, just, just, just chase after all pleasure. Other Epicureans said, no, you don't need to just give in to all those desires because in the long run it will be bad for you. So yes, the purpose of life is for you to be happy and it is for you to engage in what you want to do. But if you're really going to do that, there's got to be a little bit of moderation. So the Epicureans basically, they, they say, hey, look, it's just, you know, yeah, we're in Athens and there, there are shrines to gods everywhere. But just eat, drink for tomorrow, you die. Then there were the Stoics. The Stoics were different. The Stoics lived by a code of honor. And you would discipline yourself. And you would have self-control. And as the Roman Empire got worse and worse, and the sin got worse and worse, the Stoics, this, this philosophy rose, especially among the upper classes. It rose because it was a way that you couldn't control 
the decay of the Roman Empire, but you could control yourself. And you could have self-control. I think about uh, the, the way that, that, that lifting weights and working out and being physically fit in our society, even as our society is decaying, there are individuals that are very dedicated to taking care of their body and eating just right and, and disciplining themselves. And they will get up, they will get up at 3, 4 in the morning to lift, to lift weights and they only eat certain kind of foods. And these people show amazing discipline. Amazing discipline. To some degree, the Stoics were like that. If you've seen the movie The Gladiator, that is, that is kind of the philosophy of Russell Crowe's character. He lives that way. He disciplines himself to fight in the arena, to control himself as a soldier, to live that way. That was very popular at this time. So the Epicureans say, eat, live, for tomorrow we die. The Stoics say, no, do not eat and live. For you will die, but control yourself and show others discipline and show it to your family and let them see the discipline that you have. But Paul sees all of this. He sees the idols and he sees the Epicureans and he sees the Stoics who are still with us today. Even though people don't use those names, they're still with us. And Paul sees them and it stirs his heart and he's broken because he knows all of this is idolatry. Verse 18. What'd they do when they saw this guy? I mean, can you imagine this? This is, go, go, go to Nashville. Go to Nashville and go there and look at the Parthenon. I used to do this in college. I, I did this quite a bit, and, it's an, and you need to do this. Next time you're down near Vanderbilt, go to the Parthenon, because that, that, that's from Athens. And imagine this little Jewish guy. Imagine this little Jewish man in the height of this pagan culture with all these pagan idols and all this pagan worship. Go there and look at the Parthenon there in Nashville and imagine this little guy, Paul, with the audacity of the Holy Spirit in his heart who walks up, walks up there and says, Hey, I got something to say. Well, how did they respond? Some said, verse 18, what will this babbler say? Others said he seems to be a setter forth of strange gods because he has preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And so they took him under the uh, Areopagus and they said, may we know what this new doctrine whereof that you speak is. So they bring the place where discussion occurs. They take him to the university and they say, let us know more about what you believe. For you bring certain strange things to our ears. Strange things to our ears that we would know what these things mean for all the Athenians and strangers, uh, which the immigrants, the people that lived there, the Athenians, the immigrants, which were there, they spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill, and he said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. The unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Who is this unknown God that he's going to make clear? Verse 24, it's the God that made the world, all the things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He dwells not in temples made with hands, Neither is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things. You are foolish. God made you. So what makes you think that you could create an idol to make him? No, no, no. You've got this backwards. 
It's God that made you. This is the God he's going to reveal to them. Verse 26, he has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he has determined the times before they're appointed. And he has fixed the the bonds of their habitation, the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord. This unknown God wants you to seek him. And then look what happens when you seek him. If happily they may feel after him, what will happen if they do this? They will find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our own being. Certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also of his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we've been created by this God. We ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's desire. God is not created by your desire. The times of his ignorance where God winked at, it's gone. The times of this ignorance God winked at. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day. A day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. How will he judge the world? By that man whom he has ordained. Who is that? Jesus. He is ordained through Jesus. That man whom he has ordained. Whereof he has given assurance unto all men. And that he raised him, Jesus, from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, so they're listening, they're paying attention. But when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, We will hear these, that we will hear thee again, or we'll hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him, and they believed. Among them was Dionysus. The, the Arapagite and a woman named Demarius and others with them. From this passage today, Evangelist Rick Crantle has pointed out that there are four things about Paul's preaching at Mars Hill that we learn about God. This morning I want to go in a little different direction. I want to show you four things that you need to help others see about God from the preaching that Paul does. Paul wants them to know about God. So when we read this text, we need to both learn about God from it and learn what is it that we are to be helping others to see and know about God. For that is God's will for your life. It is the will of the Son that you would glorify God the Father. It is the will of the Father that you would magnify the Son who has died for your sins. So what is it that we need to be helping others that you need this week to be showing others about God? Four things. Number one. God's will for you today, this week, the rest of your life. God's will is for you to help others see that God's glory is unparalleled. Part of your job as an ambassador of Jesus is to help folks see that the glory due to God the Father is unparalleled to any glory that any other created thing could ever have. I was excited about coming today. Because I knew that we were going to worship and sing together and sing songs to a saving, sovereign God who is unmatched in all His glory. There is is nothing else. There is no other thing, period, in this universe, in these galaxies that is worth the praise of our Creator God. William Barclay tells that there were many altars 
to the unknown God in Athens. There were actually, it wasn't just one, there were many altars to the unknown God. You see, something had happened 600 years before. Now, when something happens 600 years before and it's still affecting today, that's a pretty big deal, right? That's, that's longer than the United States of America has been a country. So when you, when you think in time that an event 600 years ago was still affecting Athens when Paul showed up, that's a big deal. What had happened? 600 years before Paul is there preaching, a pestilence had overtaken the city. It had overtaken the city. And so there was a, a Greek poet. Now remember, their poets, they believed, were infused with the divine. The poets would, would speak the words of God. And so there was a poet among them that said during the middle of this pestilence and this plague, he said, we need to get sheep that are black and white, black and white sheep, and take them and release them into the city. And what this poet said, this poet said, wherever the sheep stops and sits and lays down, wherever a sheep stops and sits and lay down, offer a sacrifice for every one of the sheep, wherever they are, wherever they stop, wherever they sit down, right there, offer a sacrifice. And what this poet said was, he said, wherever they stop, sacrifice to the God whose shrine is nearest to that sheep. That way, this pestilence, the sheep will go all over the city, they'll stop all over the city, and will sacrifice to every God that there is, and maybe whatever God has caused this calamity in our city, it will stop. But then he said this, they said, well, what, what do we do if a sheep lays down in a place where there's no shrine anywhere near? What, what do we do then? And this poet told them, he said, then make a sacrifice to the unknown God. Because maybe, with all these hundreds and hundreds of gods, there may be some God that we don't know. And so if one of the sheep stops in a place that's nowhere near a shrine, go ahead and make a sacrifice and make it to the unknown God. And so here is Paul. And Paul has shown up. And these people for 600 years have been acknowledging that somewhere there is a God that they do not know. They do not know what he desires. They do not know what his will is. But they know that he is there. For 600 years, Athens, the pinnacle of Greek culture, worshipped in ignorance. But this morning when we came, we did not worship the unknown God in ignorance. We know who that God is has shown us that it is his father. It is his father. Now why? Why? Why do we need help? Why do we need to be about the business of helping others to give God unparalleled glory? Well, Bill Bright, famous evangelist to college campuses in the last century, started Campus Crusade. Right before he died, Bill Bright wrote these words. Bill Bright said, I've always believed in heaven and hell. But after I became a believer, I really didn't give a lot of thought to it. But in recent months, he's preparing to die. He said, in recent months, I've been riding on heaven and hell a lot. My logic is this. The God whom I've been worshiping created at least 100 billion known galaxies. Some astronomers would say 200 billion. By the way, as of 2016... Based upon uh, new power within the Hubble Space Telescope, they believe that there are two trillion galaxies in the known universe. That's ten times more than they previously thought. Bill Bright said this, Does our generation give God credit for this? No. They say it was just a big bang. But it was the great creator God who made all this majesty and all this glory that the telescopes now allow us to see. Can you imagine then, just knowing what we see through a telescope of what God made, 
Can you imagine what he's done to create heaven for his people? And what I mean by that is the new Jerusalem, the place where Jesus said that I go to prepare this for you. He said, can you imagine? No, you can't. Because 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. If the God of the galaxies deserves your praise today, say amen. If he made that, if he made things like this, we had that eclipse and that, the guy from Canada came and all the way from Canada, came down so he could be right here to just look at one thing God's done. One thing, just an eclipse. If God has done all that, can you imagine what the new heaven, the new earth, oh, the Bible is so clear, this old heaven, this old earth has fallen under sin. This is the timeline of the Bible shows us what has happened, but it shows us that God has not given up on his creation. He has not stopped. And if God has made this, can you imagine when we get to experience it not in sin? But we get to experience covered in the righteousness of Jesus. Well, I know it's true. Eye has not seen. Ear has not heard. Nor has it entered into the heart of man what good things God has prepared for his people. If he deserves unparalleled glory, say amen. <laughs> Look at it. It says in verse 24 of chapter 17, God made the world and all the things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. Your calling, number one, is to help others see God's unparalleled glory. Number two, what's God's will for my life? is to help others see the unparalleled glory of God the Father. Number two, it is also to help others see God's mysteriousness. Uh, the, the Athenians are not totally wrong. There is something about God that is above and beyond us because we are the created beings and He is the Creator. This is why we do not take God's name in vain. This is why in a generation where you can turn on any television show almost, you can watch thousands of movies. You can get on the internet. You can go to public schools. You can go in the supermarket. And you hear all these people that will use the name of God in vain. We are the people who do not do that. Why? Because we know this is a name to revere and to honor. Because our creator is beyond us. We need to help others see God's mysteriousness. Look in verse 25 and 26. He says, this God's not worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he's the one that gives to all life and breath and all things. And he's, what has he done? He's the one that has made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And he, not you, not me, God in his own counsel, without needing my advice, without needing any pointers from me or from you or from anybody else, he has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. My friends, God has revealed himself. He has revealed himself. But there is still a mystery to God. Paul proclaims in Romans eleven thirty three through 36 Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable. It's good to want to learn theology. It's good to want to study. It's good to want to dig into God's word because he's given it to you for that purpose. But do not forget what Paul said. 
how unsearchable are his judgments. Unsearchable his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. In verse 26 of Acts 17, we learn that God in his own counsel is unfolding the mystery of salvation in the way that he foreordained and he has planned. You and I do not control it. We cannot even fathom all that God is doing. All we can do is accept or reject what God has done in his son Jesus. And you are free. You are free to accept what the mysterious creator God is doing in saving souls. You are free to accept it and you are free to reject it. But you cannot do or undo what God has chosen to do through his son Jesus Christ. You can reject it. You can walk away from it. You can die separated from God in your sin. Or you can embrace and you can accept and you can know the life in Jesus that the creator of the galaxies has made for us. We cannot fathom all that God is doing. We cannot know all the reasons why, though some of them have been revealed to us through the Bible. But what we can do is to help others know Jesus. Jesus who is the Lord over all the known and unknown things that make up this world and the counsels of God. What is God's will for my life? God's will, according to Paul at Mars Hill, is to help others see God's unparalleled glory. That's what Paul is doing in the sermon. To help others see God's mysterious. Number three, God's will is for you to help others experience God's generosity. God, he, he wants you. To help other people who have, been, who have been burdened by the shackle of sin. He wants you this week to help others experience the generosity of freedom that he gives. Now how do I know that God is generous? And how do I know that, others, that God wants others to receive the generosity that he has? Look at verse 25. What's at the end of verse 25? He says, seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things. God is the giver of life of breath. He is the giver of all things. He is a giving God. Verse 27, what does God want? That they should seek the Lord, that they might feel after him, that they might what? That they might find him. God wants you to find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Verse 30, at times this ignorance, those who did not worship God, at times of this ignorance, God winked at it. But now he commands all men everywhere to repent. God wants all to repent of their sin. He wants them to know the gift of life, of eternal life, of living for God now that he offers. God wants you. God expects you to help others experience the generosity of God. What is God's will for me this week? I hope today you came anticipating to hear from God. To hear from God so that it would impact how you live this week. What is it God wants from me? To help others see the unparalleled glory of God. To help others see God's mysteriousness. He is the creator. We are the creator. So we dare not blaspheme his name. 
We de- and now listen, you can, by the way, you can blaspheme his name by taking his name in vain. You can also blaspheme the name of God by just living as if he's not there. And some of us who would never say GD and we'd never do this kind of stuff, sometimes we live as if God is not there. We need to help others see God's unparalleled, unmatched glory. We need to help others to see God's mysteriousness. We need to help others experience the generosity of God. And then fourthly and finally, what is God's will for you today, this week, and for all of your days? God's will is to help others know God's righteousness. Paul makes this truth so clear in verses 30 and 31. There Paul says, now God commands all men everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day on which he will judge. Verse 31 says that there is a day of judgment. How will he judge the world? Verse 31 makes clear he will judge it in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he's given assurance to all of this by raising him, Jesus, from the dead. Now, when it comes to righteousness, you guys, and a lot of people in this world are like me when it comes to cleaning the house, right? Here's how it comes to clean the house. I'll clean my part, right? I'll do just like you probably do what Brooklyn tells you. I do what Laura says. I clean my part. Amen. Do you do what she says? All right, absolutely. All right, just checking. I do what she says. I go and I clean, and I do my part. Now, here's what happens sometimes that makes me mad, right? This is an even better example. Sometimes I have to fold the clothes, and I'm allowed to fold my stuff. But sometimes she's in a hurry, and, and it's don't just folding my stuff and my towels and my washcloth around. I, I, I try to be a good husband and, and help out, Rosa, and I try to help out, and uh, I'll fold some of her stuff. And you know what happens every time I do that? She comes back and refolds it. Same thing with Albert. I knew it. She comes back. That makes me so mad, Cecil. So mad. And I'm like, look, this looks good. This looks good. And you know what I like to do? I like to take stuff that Ethan and Owen have tried to fold. I'm like, look at how good mine is compared to theirs. I mean, this is well done laundry right here. But you know what Laura does? She will take it her way and she will fold it. Or same thing with making up the bed. I'll make up the bed and I think, that looks good. That looks a thousand times better than Ethan and Owen's bed. And she'll come in and remake it. Why? Oh yeah, my standard is really good compared to Ethan and Owen. But that's not the standard that Laura wants the house cleaning to be at. She wants it to be at her standard. And so many of us, we say, God, what I'm doing for you, we may not say the words, but we know the game. God, what I am doing for you and how I'm living my life, it is so better than Sister Janie J over here. Oh, God, the things I do and don't do and the things I know about and the way it is so better than Brother Bobby B. over here. I just arrived at another place. It's just so much better. And we compare and we compare and we compare. And all the while, there's a God of the galaxies. There's a mysterious God who's revealed himself to us. And all the while, he's looking at our little comparisons he's saying no I did not make you for some small petty thing to compare yourselves to sinners that are sold under sin I made you to know me and to worship me and the standard of worshiping this God is the standard of complete and perfect righteousness it is the standard of Jesus 
so what is God's will for your life? It is to help others to stop comparing their lives to the rationalizations that they have made that make them better than other people around them. And it is a hard task, but it is one the Holy Spirit will equip you to do. It is to confront them with a God who says, stop rationalizing your sin. Stop rationalizing why you are living at this level and staying in this sin and this idolatry. Stop, stop, stop. And recognize that the standard of God is the standard of His righteousness. And when you do that, it will grip a sinner with despair. And they will feel hopeless. And they will feel and they will know in their heart the truth that they could never live up to the righteousness of God. And that is when you showed them, when you tell them, when you preach to them, when you proclaim to them, when you witness to them that you are right, you will never live up to the standard of God. That is why He sent His Son to save you. When is the last time you witnessed to anybody? I mean, when you really told them. You really looked at that person you knew and you were honest and you said, you know, I love you, you know, I built a relationship with you, but you know, here's the problem at the end of the day. You're living by your standard. And there is a God of heaven and earth who says, it's not your standard, it's my standard. And there's only one way to meet that, and that is to say yes to what God has done in His Son, Jesus. Sinner, listen to me today. The reality of Paul, what he was telling those Athenians who were so wise in the things of this world, is that without this one Jesus who is resurrected from the dead, there's no hope for you because this is the one, it becomes clear in Revelation, this is the one who will judge. This is the one who will come and destroy the effects of sin. He's defeated on the cross and he will return and he will, he will complete this work. He will judge. And when the Athenians heard that, most of them turned away. And they said, no, no, this Jewish carpenter Jesus, he's going to forgive my sin. He's going to judge me. And they turned and they walked away. But praise the Lord that Paul exposed the righteousness, the rightness of God. Because it says in verse 31, there were certain men that clave unto him. Why did they cleave? That's the language that's used in Genesis of Adam and Eve coming together. The most intimate type uh, of relationship. Why does it say that they, that they clave, that they cleaved unto him? You know why they cleaved unto him? Because they knew that without Jesus there was no life. Most walked away and left. But certain men clave unto him. And they believed. Among them was Dionysus, the Arapagite, and a woman named Amarius. There's a man and a woman that is representative of many other men and women. Many walked away. But there were those who heard of the righteousness of God, of the generosity of God, of the mysteriousness of God. And they gave God the glory He deserved by believing. So what about you? What about your life? What about your plans? What about your future? Are you all about the glory of God and helping others to know it? Are you all about the generosity of God and how through Jesus He is generously that this God poured out His own life, the one who gave us life, poured out His life 
and died so that you may have life? Are you all about knowing that and helping others to know it? Are you about helping those that are blind and ignorance? You don't have all the answers. He's a mysterious God. But are you all about helping them know the one answer that we need? The answer of Jesus. Paul is so determined and he's so focused. Paul knows what the purpose of his life is. It doesn't matter if he's with the Athenians or with the Jews or a little slave girl in a market who's under the power of the demonic. He knows that his calling is to bring glory to God by proclaiming Jesus. My friends today, God is a big God who's done amazing things. And he has made you not to live in sin, but to live for his son. God is worthy of praise, say amen. He, he is worthy. I hope this morning you got a small glimpse. And this is very inadequate because like you, I'm a created being. But I hope this morning through the music, through the fellowship, through the preaching, sinner, listen to me, I hope you've got a small glimpse that God made you for so much more than that sin that you were living for. He made you for himself. To worship Him and to know Him and to live. Don't stay in death. Come and embrace the life. Father God, as the musicians come, Father God, I ask right now, Lord, would you let a little piece of your word that we read, a little glimpse of who you are, Father God, I ask you, I beg you this morning, Father God, would you impart a little bit of that word through your Holy Spirit to these that are listening today? Lord, there is one who came here today, and Lord, they are lonely. And Lord, they feel they're at the end of their rope. And Father God, they came today just looking for something, anything, Father God. And you chose not to just give them anything today, God, but through your word, you've given yourself, you've shown who you are, that you can, you can give them more than the empty life that they have. You can give them Jesus. Father God, for that sinner who's confronted with a yes or a no, Lord, help them to step out and say yes to Jesus. Father God, for that believer who's living really small, who's living a really self-centered life, Lord, today would you help them to step out and say yes to this big God who wants them to let others know all about Him. Father God, you move, use this time. Lord, we will give you praise and glory in Jesus' name name. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing.